My name is David Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. I again want to welcome you. If this is your first time, uh, we also say every single week that we, we welcome anybody who's listening to us on our website or our podcast, and we really mean it. We would love it if you would join us here on Sunday mornings. Well, some of you may know this about my story, uh, but if you don't, there was a long stretch of my life where I was living a life that was very, very far away from the life that God would have wanted me to live, and I knew that very well because I had two, two pastors living in my house. Um, both my, my father and my mother were pastors. I was uh, very involved in church. I did ministry. Uh, I went to a Christian school. Uh, I was part of youth group. Uh, by all accounts, I was a stellar churchgoer. I mean, if, if I got anything right, I got that right. Uh, and I did that very well. But at the same time, once I left the walls, I was living a life that very few people that I knew would ever, ever approve of. Uh, I let my eyes and my ears consume just about whatever they wanted. I was mean. I was angry. I was, in in many cases, verbally abusive to the people around me. Uh, There was even some substance abuse and sexual sin layered in there. I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on in my life. And inevitably, the duality of trying to be an A-plus, gold-star churchgoer, and also trying to live the life of somebody who's doing whatever they want outside the church, uh, presented a few challenges. My life ended up becoming very, very complicated. In order to keep my relationships intact, I had to work really, really hard to project the person that uh, people would want me to be. And of course, that changed from situation to situation, depending on where I was. And I got really good at knowing what to say and what to do uh, to get people to like me. Or, or maybe more important, to keep people liking me. And in an effort to keep all this going on, I had to constantly ask myself the question, I wonder what people think of me. I wonder what they're saying about me. I wonder what I have to do or what I have to say in order to keep people on my good side. And as I was trying to keep up this dual life, I had to constantly, constantly assess what other people thought of me. And in many respects, this consumed my life. It would, it, what people would say about me, what they thought of me, ended up shaping a lot of my decisions and would even shape some of my identity, who I thought I was, early, you know, who, who the world thought that I was. And it ended up becoming very, very complicated. Uh, and uh, what I've realized is that this isn't all that uncommon. It seems like we all seem to care about what other people think of us. Now, some people might care way more than others, but generally speaking, we care, right? We care about what other people think of us. I think the, uh, the, what's become like sort of an institution of Facebook, uh, or the world of Facebook or social media, offers some anecdotal evidence to this, right? I mean, I don't see too many uh, posts about people on their bad days, talking about how bad a person they are and how much of a scoundrel and scumbag they are, how they cheated on their taxes and did all sorts of stuff. I mean, I don't don't see posts like that, right? Maybe you do. You got some some different kind of friends. Um, But I also don't see too many selfies of people like in these weird compromising situations, you know, looking all tattered with their hair messed up or, you know, clothes, you know, all, all, all messed up, right? And we want to project ourselves in a very likable and, and, you know, uh, a positive light, right? Because to some degree, we care. We care about what people think of us. And maybe your story is as extreme as mine was. Maybe, uh, maybe you 
um, maybe what people think of you shapes just about every part of your life, but maybe not. Maybe you care more so in a particular area of your life. Maybe you really, really care how people perceive you as a parent. And that drives you to do certain things and be a certain person. Maybe you care a lot about what your neighbors around you think of you. Maybe you care a lot about, you know, your, your, percept, your personal perception or the perception of you in your social circles or at work. I'll tell you, as a, as a Latino, as a person of color, I care a lot about how I'm perceived in uh, the industry that I work. I work in the construction industry, and I'll tell you, sexism and racism roll off people's tongues like they're talking about the morning weather. I mean, it's shocking. It's, it's like, it's crazy how, how uh, I get to see people's real hearts. And so in that industry, in that environment, I care about how I'm per perceived. I see myself as a representative, almost, of a, of a people group. And so I, I care. I care in a lot of different ways. I care about my wife, what my wife thinks of me. I care about what my kids think of me. And I just imagine that you are, you know, like me. You care about what people think. And I also imagine there are so many different reasons why. Maybe it's from a, it comes from a place of insecurity. Maybe, maybe you just simply want to present the best version of yourself. Maybe that's the case. But no matter the case, no matter the situation, I think at some point... We, we give ourselves into caring what people think of us. And what's really interesting is that we read a, a passage in the Bible where it seems that even Jesus seemed to care about what people thought of him. Even Jesus, Jesus Christ. And, and you know, if I'm, if I'm thinking of what well, we, we see in that situation, in that story, Jesus is walking with his disciples and he asks his disciples a question, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am, and if I'm, if I'm thinking about why Jesus would ask that question and I'm projecting my own sort of motives behind us, it seems a little unusual for Jesus Christ to ask that question. This is the same Jesus who said, if you have seen me, then you have seen God in heaven. This is the same guy who said, you know, he's the savior of the world, that he would die and, you know, be raised from the dead. And so this question seems a little odd coming from Jesus. But I think as we'll see as we dig into the passage today that that Jesus' reasons for asking this question are very, very different than why I might ask it or why you might ask it. And actually, if we take a step back and we consider the many other questions that Jesus asked, it doesn't actually seem all that of an unusual question. Jesus seemed to ask this type of question very often. Now, he didn't ask this particular question, but he would often ask questions that had a lot more behind them than their face value. Very interesting questions. And for the last several weeks, we've been in a series designed to highlight a few of these questions. A series where we've been calling Questions Jesus Asked. Jesus was a masterful, masterful teacher. Masterful teacher. He definitely preached very lengthy sermons and, and made very bold declarative statements about himself. And, you know, didn't really involve people's opinions in the mix. But then every so often, he would ask, like many great teachers do, he would ask great questions. And these questions would eventually lead to a profound revelation of himself uh, or about the kingdom of God or about things of that nature. And so we see Jesus asking these rather profound, profound questions. And I thought it has been a, a, an incredible series. And if you've missed a week or two uh, or if you've missed the entire thing, I'd, I'd encourage you to check out the series on our website or our podcast. 
Well, this morning I'll be, I'll be concluding our series focusing on what I think is Jesus' very interesting question, who do people say that I am? Who do people say I am? Why? Why would Jesus ask his disciples this question? Maybe equally as important, what does that question have anything to do with us and why is it important in our world today? Well, to help us answer those questions, we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. Uh, If you'd like to follow along, there are Bibles around the room. The words will also be displayed on the screen. You can pull a tablet out, phone out, uh, whatever you'd like to follow along. We'll be reading from Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. Uh, As you're looking up the passage, let me just offer some really brief context here. Uh, Once Jesus started his ministry here on the earth, he would often travel from place to place, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. He'd be preaching about himself, uh, preaching about God in heaven. Uh, And as he traveled, he would meet a lot of people along the way. Uh, In fact, where we find him in this story, uh, or sort of in the timeline of events, he, he had just recently interacted with thousands of people where he miraculously multiplied somebody's very small lunch and fed thousands of people. Uh, and he would often meet with many, many people as he traveled from place to place. And he and his disciples would travel long distances, often on foot, uh, walking from place to place. And this is where we find them on the road. And what do you do when you're on the road? Perhaps you have a conversation. And Jesus was teaching his disciples a lesson here. So Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. Uh, let, me, let me pray for our time this morning before we go any further. Father in heaven, uh, we need you this morning. We need you desperately. God, I thank you that you are here with us. You're here among us. God, I ask that you would be just be so uh, overbearing in your presence that it would just almost be palpable. God, I ask that you would move me out of the way. I ask that you would deal with anything that I'm going through or, or you would help us as individuals deal with anything that we've carried in that would try to distract us or try to rob us of what you would want to teach us this morning. Lord, would you bless me, would you bless us to have ears to hear what you would want us to hear this morning. Lord, we love you and we trust you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you with me? Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples... Who do people say the Son of Man is? And I'm just going to stop reading for a moment here to kind of explain this term, the Son of Man. The Son of Man was just simply a title that Jesus used to refer to himself. And this uh, particular story was recorded in different locations in the Bible and in the other, other places. Jesus, the, the same question is paraphrased or rephrased. Who do people say that I am? And so to perhaps add, offer some simplicity to this question, that's the phrase that I'll be using today. So I'll reread th- verse 13. Um, I'm, trust me, I'm not taking liberties with the text here. Uh, the verse would read like, when Jesus came to Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. 
You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be, be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth would be permitted in heaven. I think this passage shows Jesus' uh, masterful teaching style at its finest. It seems like a passing conversation. It's so easy to read through. Uh, Jesus asks his disciples a few short questions and, you know, ends the conversation with a, with a brief blessing over Peter. But I think that there's a lot going on here. You know, it also struck me as I was, as I was reading this passage that Jesus could very well have this same conversation with us today. Now, we certainly want to... We wanna, uh, we want to learn from Jesus' interaction with his disciples. We want to study the scriptures. But I also want us, as we talk today, consider how you and I might ask, answer these questions from Jesus. How you and I might fit in that seemingly simple conversation. And so I think there's a lot that we could pull out of this, a lot that we can learn from Jesus. And I think there's also a lot that we can learn about ourselves. So what are some of the things that we can learn from this passage? Well, from the first part of the conversation, I think we can learn that Jesus cares about what others think. Jesus does care about what other people think. Jesus opens the conversation by asking his disciples in verse 13, who do people say that I am? And I think this question clearly suggests that Jesus does care. He cares about what people think. Now, let me just be really, really clear here. I don't think that Jesus is having an identity crisis. I don't think he's, you know, sort of probing for approval. I don't think that he's, he's adding any emotional weight to what people are saying about him. But what I will say is that when it comes to us, when it comes to, this, to the disciples, when it comes to understanding Jesus, when it comes to understanding what he was teaching, every, everything that Jesus was saying, I think it's important to understand that Jesus cares about what people are saying about him. This is an important part of the conversation. And if Jesus asked the question, if he cares about it, perhaps you and I should care about it. So the question becomes, why? Why would Jesus care so much about this? Well, I think part of the, question, part, uh, part of the answer is that most people don't know Jesus. Most people don't know the real Jesus, what he was all about, what his mission on earth was, all that Jesus taught about himself, most people just simply don't get it. They don't get it. And we, I think we could tell fairly easily from, from the disciples' answer that this was the case. This is how they replied in verse uh, 14. It says, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. By the way, if you're unfamiliar with those names, those are, those are great men of faith. Uh, in, the, in the history of the Jewish people. Each of them was a great prophet in their day, which meant that they spoke on behalf of God to the people. They would teach the people, and they would do a lot uh, kind of as an in-between between God and the people. And so what the disciples were saying uh, was that what they were trying to communicate was that people just simply saw Jesus as yet another great prophet, another great man of faith, another great man of God. That's it. Nothing more to it. Now, I think the disciples were Jesus' friends, and they were trying to give him the best answer and the nicest answer that they could because we know from other sections of Scripture that, that there were many other people who were saying not, so, not such very good things about Jesus. There were many people who would be actively and aggressively against Jesus, calling him a liar, calling him a fake, people who wanted to kill him. 
There were some people who even went so far to say that he was an agent of Satan himself, that Jesus Christ was an agent of the devil. And so we had people who, you know, just simply saw him as a wise teacher, some people who wanted to kill him, and there were also some people, which seemed like it was a fairly small minority, but there were some people who did, you know, think of Jesus as the Messiah, and they followed him, and they dropped everything they knew to follow Jesus. No, there were all these different people uh, offering all these different opinions about Jesus, but I think the majority of them, the majority of them, they just didn't get it. They didn't get it. I'd like to offer something to consider. Consider that these people, the people that were recorded in the Bible, they saw the physical person of Jesus. They looked in his eyes. They ate with him. In some cases, they traveled with him. They saw him do miracles. They heard his teachings, literally with their own ears. They saw him raise people from the dead. They saw him cast out demons and give sight to the blind. I mean, they, they literally ate the bread and fish that Jesus miraculously multiplied. Those, those people saw Jesus. They saw him doing those things. Now, if those people had a hard time understanding who the real person of Jesus was, how much more difficult is it for us some 2,000 years later to understand the real Jesus? Now, I wonder... How, if Jesus were to ask us that question, who do people say that I am? I wonder how, how we might respond. You know, we sometimes think of uh, uh, ourselves as being more enlightened than other eras. Well, I, I'm not sure that's the case. I'm not sure that's the case at all. I, th- I, would, I, would, we, I think we have to consider how, how a significant amount of time, significant amount of distance, we're nowhere near the epicenter of Jesus' ministry we're nowhere near the, the era in history and so many other factors. We have to consider how they have complicated the vast and almost dizzying number of perspectives of Jesus in our world today. Just about every single major religion on earth has something to say about Jesus. They project him in some certain way. And of course, we would say they're wrong, right? Even in the, in the secular world, in the non-religious world, we see so many different opinions about Jesus. There are some who would say Jesus never existed, that he was just sort of an invented character, a lore of of religious history. Others would say, I don't know, maybe he was a good teacher, but his legend has kind of been blown out of proportion. And so we see all these different perspectives, hundreds, millions maybe even, of Jesus in our world today. Listen, your grandmother has a version of Jesus. Everybody around us has a version of of Jesus, and you would hope, you would hope that all the mystery and misinterpretation of Jesus would be outside the church, but it's not the case. Even within the church, there are so many different versions of the real Jesus. Now, most people who would call themselves Christians believe a certain set of, you know, sort of core doctrines about who Jesus really was, but that's not necessarily all the case. But I think what we find more often is that there are so many different characterizations of Jesus. There are some Christians who believe that Jesus was born rich and lived the life of a rich man and, and, and taught from an influential position. There are many others who believe Jesus was born poor, he lived a modest life, and he died a poor man. Some characterize Jesus as a teddy bear. 
as a soft-spoken, you know, wise sage who, who liked to rub people's backs and sort of hum worship music over them as they, as they've had after a long day. I mean, that's the Jesus that some people characterize. Other people focus on the aggressive Jesus, the angry Jesus who like flips over tables of, of corrupt money changers, right? I mean, some of you are identifying, you know, different teachings, different Jesuses floating out there. Everybody seems to have an opinion about Jesus. Your parents do, your spouse does, your other family members do, your neighbors do, your co-workers do. The world around us, we see, you know, how many different miniseries on the History Channel have there been about Jesus? Or the, you know, PBS documentaries, or how many books or articles have been written about, you know, the real Jesus? So many different versions of Jesus. So suddenly the seemingly simple question like, you know, hey, do you believe in Jesus? It, it almost needs to be followed up with the question, well, which Jesus are you talking about? And, and, you know, we go back to Jesus' question, who do people say that I am? It's not really a simple question anymore. It's got some weight to it. It's a little complicated. And I think it's really important that we have to consider this question. We consider that Jesus cared about what other people thought. I think Jesus was very intentional about asking this question. It wasn't just an icebreaker to open up the conversation. He was very intentional and had very good reason to ask this question. And I think, I think Jesus was trying to bubble to the surface just how many different perspectives there are of him and what he was all about, emphasizing that so few people knew who he really was. So few people. And more than that, I think this Jesus, uh, I think Jesus uses this question to help us better answer his second question. This leads us to the second thing we can learn from this passage, and that is Jesus cares about what you think. Jesus not only cares about what other people think, Jesus cares about what you think. After asking his disciples the first question, who do people say that I am, he goes on to ask what I think is infinitely more important set of questions in verse 15. He says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? I think this set of, uh, of seemingly simple question goes a long way to reinforce some of the foundational principles of Christianity, and that is that Jesus was always focused on the individual. Sure, Jesus cared about the crowds. He cared about people groups. He cares about the world. Jesus loves the world. But he didn't come to sway the masses. He didn't come to sort of get a rise in, in you know, the number of polls. He, didn't, he wasn't trying to influence the crowds to him. What he was doing was calling individuals. He was calling you and me. And so more importantly than what other people think of him, he cares about what you think of him. He cares about what I think of him. That's so, so important. And I think he asked his questions in this way. Because he understands that you and I, we have to navigate the dizzying number of voices and perspectives all around us. And he understands that, we, that what we think of him can easily be influenced by what other people think of him. We have to navigate so many different things, not least of which is navigating external influences. We have to navigate external influences. We try to discover the the real Jesus. I read an article uh, recently in Christianity Today that I thought was fantastic. Uh, the article is titled, Why Jesus' Skin Color Matters. 
if you'd like to look it up. Why Jesus' skin color matters. And the basic premise of the article is that the socioeconomic and even ethnic background of Jesus should impact our ministry focus. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. That forced me to think a little bit. The fact that Jesus came to the earth as a brown-eyed, dark-haired man with olive-colored skin, somebody who was a minority group within the context of the Roman Empire, all of these details about Jesus should influence how we do ministry, how we think about certain people groups. And I thought this article was, was fantastic. It was, at the very least, it was very provoking. It forced me to think about, man, what, what, what do I think about Jesus and how does that impact how I do ministry and do life? What, was, uh, what especially struck me was the cover photo. And pop it up on the screen here. That, I mean, I, had to, I was sitting in, and looking at that photo for a long time. And here we have 12 different depictions of Jesus from different eras and regions around the world. And I, and I looked at that, and maybe you could play a little psychology game with me, but I looked at that, and I identified what my version of Jesus looked like. And I just realized that as I picked one out, who the real Jesus was, the image of Jesus that I chose influenced how I thought about different people groups. It created a bias as to who I thought Jesus really was and, you know, perhaps, you know, where he came from and what he was all about. And this picture, I mean, it just struck me. It was like, wow. Wow. I just, this is just one example of how someone else's depiction of Jesus, someone else's version, influences how I think about him. Right? I mean, can you find your Jesus? You got one up there. You only get one. I mean, just consider how what that version is influences how you think about him, how his, how his ministry was laid out. I don't know. Perhaps if we try really, really hard, you know, maybe we could escape all these external influences. Maybe we can, you know, bury our head in the sand or find some cave nearby to go hide in, right? I don't know. Maybe there's some way that we can escape these different external influences. Unfortunately, that's not the only influence that we have to deal with. No matter how far we run, no matter how hard we try to hide, we still need to navigate our internal influences. We still need to navigate our internal influence. We still need to do business with our own hearts. Right? The prophet Jeremiah tells us why this is an issue. In Jeremiah 17.9, he says... The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Ouch. That's your heart. That's my heart. I mean, what it comes down to is our hearts don't really like the real Jesus. We don't naturally don't really like the real Jesus. We like to do things our way, right? We like to call the shots. We like to be in control. And that runs contrary to the real Jesus. In fact, the real Jesus has some serious issues with that. Jesus tells his disciples a little bit later in in the same chapter, Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 24. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. It turns out the real Jesus is fairly demanding. 
I mean, who's that guy think he is? Really? Jesus insists that we give up everything to follow him. Not only that, but he calls us to love our enemies and to pray for them, pray for their well-beings. He calls us to be sacrificial and to help those in need. He calls us to, to, to have mercy to, to the people who don't deserve it and to forgive. He demands holiness and devotion. Of course, these demands run contrary to our, our natural, selfish nature to look out for us, to look after our family, our own career goals, our own, you know, version of what we want for our lives, our own selfish interests. I don't know, maybe it's just me. Maybe you square that away and you are just a magnet toward Jesus. I don't think that's the case at all. I don't think that's the case at all. Our natural tendency is to reject the real Jesus. And as a result, we end up choosing a Jesus that seems to fit our liking, right? We choose a Jesus that seems to fit our liking. You know, either we choose from the massive catalog of Jesuses out there. You know, probably don't even have to try. You could just, you know, go out into the world and find a version of Jesus that you like. But maybe you invent one of your own. Maybe you invent a Jesus who's soft on sin and disobedience. Doesn't really care that you're greedy and that you never help the people around you. Maybe you like the Jesus who lets you hold grudges and lets you gossip however you want. Maybe you like the Jesus that's like a genie in a bottle that you just sort of rub when you're in a hard time and, you know, say a quick prayer and then expect him to fix everything. Maybe that's the version of Jesus that you like. Maybe a Jesus who, who may or may not have anything to do with the major life decisions or direction of your life or your family's life. Maybe you prefer a Jesus with a particular skin color, a particular, you know, household income, a particular socioeconomic status. Maybe that's the version of Jesus that you really like. I don't know. Maybe you like that version. Maybe you like someone else's. No matter, no matter what, that's not the real Jesus. And so we recognize these powerful influences, both external and internal. Why? Because... Because they influence what we think about Jesus and what we think about Jesus matters a lot to Jesus. It matters. And at this point, a fair question is, you know, with all the stuff going on around us, with the, the, the different, different struggles that we have, is it even possible? Is it even possible to know the real Jesus? And I would argue, yes, it is possible. It is possible. How then? How can we know the real Jesus? How is it possible to do that? Well, I think we find the answer in Jesus' response to Peter's confession of faith. After Jesus asks, you know, who do, who do you say I am? Peter responds, uh, starting in verse 16, it says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And here's Jesus' response. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. How do we come to know the real Jesus? We have to let God reveal Jesus to us. We let God reveal Jesus to us. We open our hearts and our minds to the power and the presence of God. Now, we can't force God to reveal anything to us, but we can put ourselves in a position that would have better uh, allowed God to sort of uh, reveal himself to us. 
We can interact with God through prayer and worship. We can, we can sit before the Lord silently and we can meditate. We can even interact with other believers or Christians around you to try to gain some insight as to who the real Jesus is. You can do all those things, which is great. It's a part of, a part of you know, walking this thing out. But I'll tell you the most important and surefire way to better understand the real Jesus is by reading the revealed words of God in the Bible. In the Bible. So many different versions of, of Jesus floating, around there, uh, floating all around us. Where you're going to find the real Jesus is in the Bible. There's absolutely no substitute for this. There's no substitute. There's no number of conversations you can have with people. There's no number of other books or miniseries or anything like that that can substitute the Bible and the truth of the Bible. This, the Bible is the measuring stick of truth. As a pastor, I sometimes get to talk to people about their, their spiritual beliefs, and I can usually tell pretty quickly about where their beliefs come from. And it always makes me sad when I, when I see someone trying to follow a Jesus based on completely false premises, based on complete, like, sometimes outlandish premises. Or worse yet, maybe when we are, like, reading the Bible together or we're trying to discuss the Jesus, you know, people would say things like, yeah, but, you know, what I know in my heart is that Jesus is really like this. Oh, what, you know, what I really, you know... Jesus is really like this. And I'll tell you, it breaks my heart. It breaks, breaks my heart. Please, please don't hear me bad-mouthing anybody. But as a pastor, as someone who cares deeply for your spiritual life and for your souls, it just it breaks my heart to see people following a Jesus that has nothing to do with Scripture. Cannot be found in Scripture. People hang their life on it. They walk following some other Jesus. And it breaks my heart. There's no substitute for the Word of God. There's no other revelation that can come before the truth and authority of God's written Word. Nothing. And when we look to Scripture, we look to the truth of Scripture, we find uh, who Jesus is supposed to be in our lives, and it will change everything. We can come to know him as Savior and stop trying to save ourselves. We look to the Bible and we see that he's our shepherd and we can find safety in his care. We see that he's our teacher and we can rely on his wisdom. We see that we can lean on him as a rock and trust in his steadfastness. We can embrace him as the lover of our souls and and realize that we are beloved sons and daughters of, of God. We can accept him as a substitute for our sin and enjoy an everlasting relationship with our Father in heaven. That's the truth of the scripture. And the list goes on and on as we discover the real Jesus in the pages of scripture. We can know, we can know the real Jesus. But we don't look outward, we don't look inward, we look upward. We have to look upward. And I think when we do, we'll be changed forever. And this leads us to the last thing that we can draw on from this passage. And I'll end with this. And that is when we encounter the real Jesus, not only does he change our perspective of him, but he changes our identities. The real Jesus will change your identity. This is exactly what he does for Peter. 
Starting in verse 18, it says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be, for, be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Peter's name was changed from Simon to Peter. Jesus blessed him with a new level of spiritual authority. Jesus positioned him as head over the early church. Jesus changed Peter's identity. Now, it took Peter a little, a little while to sort of, you know, walk, in, walk that out fully. But nonetheless, Jesus changed who Peter was. And this was actually a common theme in Jesus' ministry. Over and over, we see Jesus encountering different people and radically changing who they were. He encountered a, a corrupt tax collector, and that person ended up in an instant becoming, you know, a benefactor of the community and repaying his debts. He encountered lepers and healed them and brought them back into a community. They were no longer unclean, but they were made clean. He would encounter prostitutes and release them from that life of sin, and he made them new and whole again. He made fishermen leaders. He he caused the demon-possessed to be free from that oppression and re-enter society from the brink of insanity back into a healthy life. And this happened again and again and again. Jesus encountered people and changed them. Changed them, not just their perspective, what they thought of him. On an intellectual level, he changed their identities, who they were. And this wasn't just for Peter. It wasn't just for these different stories in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that anyone, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone a new life has begun. In other words, anybody who calls on Jesus and commits their life to him becomes a new person. Listen, some of you should be doing Jesus laps around the church because of how much he has changed you and brought you from where you were to where you are now. Listen, I would be right there behind you. I would be right there behind you. Listen, he changed my heart. He changed my mind. I used to be paralyzed and consumed by what other people thought of me. I used to be so focused on trying to please other people. I I shaped my life based on what other people thought of me, what I, you know, what I was trying to, you know, make people happy. And Jesus says, nah, I'm now the only one whose opinion matters. I'm the only voice who gets to speak into your life. I'm the only one who gets to set the boundaries of your life and define who you are. You're mine. And Jesus changed my identity. There's no more dual life. There's no more putting on a show. There's no more worry about what other people are are saying and thinking of us. Jesus changes our life. He calls us into something new, to something better, something we were always meant to be, a new creation in Christ Jesus. New creation. And as we're made new, Jesus sets us free. He sets us free from the grip of sin in our lives. He releases us from the grip of fear and shame. He releases us from the, from the baggage of our past, the things that, that, that we, you know, used to be or used to do. He sets us free from those things, and he sets us on a proper course, and he calls us by a new name. He calls you beloved. He calls you forgiven. He calls you loved. He calls you new. He calls you a, a woman of God, a man of God. He calls you a child of God. He calls you something altogether different. You're not stupid. You're not dumb. You're not lazy. You're not a bum. Some words you've spoken, were spoken over me early in my life that I was a thief and a liar. And I'll tell you, that shaped my life for a long time. 
And Jesus took that away. You're not a thief. And Jesus does that for every single one of us. He speaks his truth into us. He speaks his truth into us and changes our identities. And he does all this because he loves us more than we could ever imagine. Ever imagine. He came to the earth and died the death that we deserve to die. He took the punishment for all of our disobedience against God and he did it willingly with love that we will never, ever understand. He died on the cross so that we can experience an everlasting life with our Father in heaven, living the life we were always supposed to live and enjoying the relationship with our Father in heaven the way that we were always meant to. That's the real Jesus. That's the real Jesus. So really quickly, how do we put all this together? Worship team, you can come up. I think Jesus brings to to our attention that there are some things that can limit life-changing encounters with him. And that can be the influence of what other people around us are saying. It can be the influence of our own hearts, the Jesus that we want, that we invent, the Jesus uh, that there's so many different versions out there. But no matter what those things are, the real Jesus is worth giving it up. The real Jesus is worth following. It won't be easy. In fact, following Jesus will cost you your preferences. It'll cost you your, you know, sometimes your plans, your own personal trajectory of your life. But encountering the real Jesus will set you on a course that you could never imagine. It will change everything. It'll be a life filled with the power and presence of the living God. A life marked by love, by joy, by peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, a life where God gets to be God and we can follow his lead, a life of freedom, a life of a new creation, a new purpose, and a new hope. Jesus tells us, give up your own way of life, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. If you give up your life for my sake, He will save it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you sent the real Jesus here on earth to save us, to rescue us from ourselves. God, I thank you that you are knowable. You are not mysterious and hide yourself, but rather you have revealed yourself in the pages of Scripture through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that we can can connect with you and that we can live with you and live, live under your guidance and your teaching and your wisdom and your love and your mercy. God, I thank you that if we call on you, you release us from who we used to be and call us into something new. I thank you, Lord. Lord, I ask that today you would just pour that out, pour that truth out. God, I know that there some people still are fighting back. They still think that they have not changed, that, that you can't change them, that you can't, don't have the power to do anything for them. Lord, I ask that you would break that now in Jesus' name. I ask that they would encounter the real you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Move us. Shake our lives. Change us to the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name.